and welcome to the Hindu's Parley podcast. I'm your host and diplomatic editor of the Hindu, Suhasini Heather. Five months into the military standoff with China at the line of actual control, it seems evident that no easy or existent answers really uh, seem to remain to India's challenge at the line of actual control with China. The ground has shifted and the question is, should the waters shift as well? We're asking whether the Quad coalition of US, India, Australia and Japan in the Indo-Pacific is perhaps uh, an effective counter to India's China challenge uh, on the land. Our guest today, are Ashok Kanta, Director of the Institute of Chinese Studies, formerly India's Ambassador to China, and Tanvi Madan, Director of the India Project at Brookings Institution based in Washington and the author of the book, Fateful Triangle, which really looks at the dynamics between the US, China, and India post-independence, and many have pointed out to the parallels. We'll speak a bit about that as well. But if I could come to you first, Ambassador Kanta, and ask you about the week we've seen in Parliament. The Defence Minister has more or less said that we have not seen transgressions across the line of actual control with China, but that Chinese troops have been amassed along the LOC. Uh, there's also the hope that the five-point agreement in Moscow last week will bring about some kind of a return to peace on the LAC, but there are many who say uh, don't count uh, count those chickens yet. How do you see the situation? Well, you know, as Defence Minister pointed out, uh, we are in the middle of a situation which is unprecedented. Uh, we had a standoff uh, situations uh, along India-China borders in the past. But what's happening this time around is very different. Uh, for one thing, uh, as Defence Minister noted, the level of troops uh, amassed by China is uh, very high order, and we have also undertaken some, you know, matching deployment on our side. And moreover, there have been multiple transgressions, transgressions at multiple points by China, which has required, you know, effective response from our side. Uh, as for uh, the five-point understanding which was reached uh, between uh, uh, Minister Jashankar and Minister Wangi in Moscow on 10 September, it's a good beginning. You know, it's important that uh, we should. Uh, Continue dialogue. Uh, it provides a broad, you know, framework for uh, moving towards a resolution. But frankly, so much more work remains to be done. The onus has been placed uh, on uh, the border commanders to move towards uh, early disengagement, de-escalation of troops. Uh, as you know, that process has not made any headway since middle of July. Uh, whether they'll be more successful or not remains to be seen. On the whole, while there is a glimmer of hope. Uh, I think uh, situation is still is difficult. So it's eased up a little bit over the last few days. Uh, I think uh, there is need for uh, very active involvement and engagement between two sides uh, at diplomatic and political levels, apart from meetings between border commanders of India and China. So you do see some hope over there. Um, Tanvi, if I could take that question to you, Many have made the parallels to 1959, which you have covered in such detail in your book uh, with all the archive parallels. Do you see some of those parallels? And really, what is your assessment of what's going to happen? So I think there are some parallels, including the fact that when you have 
uh, troops amassed in those uh, in those kind of quantities? Uh, and in the case of 59, what was different or that entire period starting from uh, 57 onwards? Um, those were kind of troops bumping up against each other, um, no sets of agreements in place that were have been in place from about 1993 for two decades. Now, where the parallel is, is for the longest time, uh, those are the agreements that were essentially ensuring that even as these two troops were bumping up against each other uh, in this kind of both man's land, so to speak, that, that the two countries claimed, uh, that there were these mechanisms and agreements to maintain peace and tranquility at the boundary. Now, as the defense minister said in parliament, uh, perhaps the most kind of uh, of official uh, detail of this that uh, the Chinese have violated these agreements. And so there's this lack of uh, uh, trust, as the Indian ambassador to China pointed out, that there's been considerable damage to that trust. So how do you trust that these agreements are going to work? And that creates a situation uh, where you're all, you're on knife set. You don't know what the other side's going to do. That's not exactly the best place to be in. So I think, you know, in some senses, yes, there are some parallels, but there are also limits to those parallels. Neither China nor India other countries there were uh, in 1962. Uh, both are stronger, uh, but they also have, I think, dialogue mechanisms and more consistent dialogue mechanism even today, despite kind of the violations of the agreements that did not exist in those days. And they have kind of, I think they're also geopolitically placed in a somewhat different place uh, in the world in terms of the balance of power as well. Interesting. So you're saying that all the mechanisms that were put in place after 1993, all the way down from the foreign minister, defense minister, and then we're seeing the border commanders, all of that, that is different. Um, what else is different is that there is now this idea of the quadrilateral in the Indo-Pacific. Um, so that way, I do want to start by asking you, do you think that the quadrilateral is an effective counter to China? I think it depends on what you're trying to counter. I think the quadrilateral itself is both, you know, a coalition of these four, I'd say you could call it a coalition of the willing and capable um, to uh, shape Chinese behavior, to work with each other, uh, to try to deter China in the future, to set the rules of the road in the Indo-Pacific and to ensure that they are maintained. Uh, but it's not an exclusive arrangement. And within, I think, as important as the Quad itself are the relationships, the bilaterals and trilaterals that these four countries have with each other and with other partners who, as the term, popular term these days says, who are like-minded. Um, and so I think if you think about, you know, is it, did, a, uh, did India's presence in the Quad deter China from, you know, uh, uh, from the PLA from transgressing at the at the boundary? The answer is no. But that is also not what one should expect from something like this, which is frankly not an alliance. It's not an Asian NATO. Um, so I think the, the Quad is useful in terms of what it can do. And I think this is the way it should be. What can these countries do to enhance Indian capabilities? And what can it do to shape the future balance of power and the, even the present balance of power uh, and try to restore deterrence uh, in Asia and the Indo-Pacific. So I don't think it's about, you know, is it going to deter a bilateral move, uh, though that's eventually the idea, that uh, coalitions like this uh, th th will eventually ensure uh, that China, when it, it will think twice about doing something like this, 
but uh, you know at least india doesn't have any security obligations to those other three countries and vice versa right the th- the rest of the three are actually in a proper treaty alliance together ambassador kanta many who have been skeptical of uh, the effectiveness of quad in in tempering china have asked the question can a maritime coalition really make inroads into what is essentially india's bilateral continental challenge so i'd like to ask you that but i also do want to ask you what is the effect of of this um, you know what is the effect of the quadrilateral on the india china bilateral relationship no swasti we need to look at quad as part of a, a much larger jigsaw puzzle that we are faced with today you know we have to recognize and acknowledge that our relations with china have entered new territory that you know the basic paradigm that governed this relationship over the last three decades has broken down we have to find a new modus vivendi a new equilibrium vis-a-vis china how to do that is going to be a big challenge now as we try and deal with an increasingly aggressive and assertive china which is rising in a situation where capability gap between india and china is growing i think multiple elements will have to be brought into picture there a robust external balancing of china will be one part of the answer but let me underline it will just be one part of the answer and quad comes in there it will be useful but it will not be the answer to the challenge we are facing now you very rightly pointed out when it comes to our continental challenge vis-a-vis china our quad will be of very limited utility to us yes to some extent you know uh, we may get uh, uh, useful support uh, from partner countries uh, bilaterally rather than trilaterally or bilaterally in matters like you know intelligence inputs or continued supplied of uh, supplies of uh, military hardware but uh, we are largely on our own when it comes to dealing with the chinese challenge along our land borders is concerned when it comes to maritime domain uh, clearly there can be much greater collaboration with like minded countries uh, in uh, pushing forward the idea of free and open indo pacific and a whole lot of other areas All right, interesting. Um, Tanvi, would you agree that essentially you have to separate the two? The Quad is part of a much larger strategy for India. The Continental Challenge uh, remains. Also, what really would that scenario be when the quadrilateral actually comes into its own? We've all followed its progress since 2017. We haven't really seen the quadrilateral uh, yet emerge from all the, the the questions that were asked about it. For example. Uh, right now india is still hesitant to even say that australia will be a part of the malabar exercises even if um, uh, that decision has been taken it has not been announced presumably because you don't want to exacerbate the situation with china next month we might see india and the us sign a new foundational military agreement there may be a 2 plus 2 meeting that's what both sides are preparing for so give us a sense of what has been gamed what might this quadrilateral coalition with uh, which includes india which is not a part of the treaty alliance actually look like so i think in some senses i am not one of those people whose litmus test for the quad is when is australia going to be uh, in malabar i think as early as january the defense ministry was signaling that that's going to happen the question is when 
Uh, that is not the litmus test. I think for coalitions versus alliances, and I think we have moved largely, from, largely moved from a world in which alliances were the kind of framing device for partnerships to an era of issue and interest-based coalitions. And so the question will be, uh, what will this coalition, and as you said, there, there are others, but there's a reason we keep talking about the Quad, is it includes these four countries that as former, I don't know if he's former yet, but Prime Minister, Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe said, are kind of the four democratic anchors in the region that have said they're willing to do some of these things that others might not, which is it includes kind of maritime security cooperation, which includes providing alternatives uh, to the Belt and Road Initiative, which includes cooperation in the 5G and cyberspace, uh, which includes cooperation in kind of other areas, uh, for example, in AI and other things. So I think it's not, and you even see things like quad plus formats in terms of thinking about what a post-COVID world would look like, not just in terms of kind of healthcare, but also in things like supply chain resiliency. Uh, and you have within that the subset of Australia, Japan, and India taking the lead uh, on launching an initiative on that. So I think for me, uh, it is not about, it is the question at the end of the day is, does this keep evolving in a place where these four countries uh, do develop uh, kind of more institutional, it doesn't have to be a secretariat, and I don't think that's necessarily useful uh, or necessary. I think it's a question of, can these two countries use their kind of deepening uh, cooperation to establish habits of cooperation and interoperability, I don't just mean that in the military sense, that if and when there are uh, scenarios where they need to act together, that could be like the supposed tsunami uh, in disaster relief, that could be something more uh, kinetic in the military sense. Uh, do they have the, not just the will, but the ability to work together in a fashion, uh, in a sophisticated fashion, a co complex fashion that they didn't uh, earlier? So I think I'm actually, I, I would say that we've seen a fair bit of evolution but to me, the litmus test is not this Australia and Malabar thing, because I think, you know, that, yes, it'll happen. Then what's our next uh, litmus test? I think it has to be a broader set. But I agree with Ambassador Kantha. I think the Quad is not a silver bullet. It is part of the answer, not the answer. And I think at the end of the day, what India needs to do most, and I think has not perhaps done enough, is use these partnerships for internal balancing as well, which is use these partnerships to build India's own capabilities. The continental and maritime are connected, but at the end of the day, uh, the continental, by India's choice, is something that India has to take uh, care of. All right, interesting. Um, Ambassador Kanta, uh, how feasible is this, in a sense, this, this coalition that Tanvi has described in a way which would help with India's own um, uh, internal balancing as well? Um, and my real question would be, as someone who has lived there, who has served there, and has uh, studies it so deeply, how do you really think the closeness with the U.S., because that's, of course, at the center of the Quad, India's relationship with the United States, how does this uh, closeness with the U.S. actually impact China's behavior? We've often heard uh, many diplomats say that, you know, China actually comes closer to India when India and the U.S. have a better relationship. Yet somehow the current situation doesn't seem to bear that out. How, how do you really think the dynamics work? You know, so as for Quad, uh, I'll uh, agree with what Tanvi said. 
we need to look at Quad in terms of a more robust and ambitious agenda. Uh, Quad should not be looked at through very limited prism of uh, shared concerns about China. You know, there's absolutely no doubt today that uh, the fact that, you know, these four countries uh, have similar concerns regarding China's aggressive behavior on a whole lot of issues is a strategic glue, a binding force bringing them together. That's true. There's no doubt about it. Yet, it will be a mistake to, you know, develop Quad as an instrument to counter China. Uh, Quad can be a very effective tool. It can be a useful prolateral grouping on a whole lot of issues which have been spelt out by Tanvi, which is true, which, which I, I agree with her. Now, you know, how India-China, India-US relations impact our relations with China, you know, frankly, uh, we have been far too cautious when it comes to developing Quad or, you know, when it comes to developing our own strategic linkages with, with the USA about how China will react. Frankly, uh, expanded strategic uh, relationship with USA helps in our dealings with China, more so in a situation, as I pointed out earlier, the capability gap between India and China is increasing today, it's increasing by the day. There, we cannot really deal with the Chinese challenge in a bilateral construct. We have to work with like-minded countries, and that includes USA, that includes Japan and Australia, and many other countries. So I think we have to look at the China challenge in a in a fresh light, and we need to shed some of the hesitation we have shown in the past when it comes to working with like-minded countries. At the same time, we have to recognize that what we can achieve through Quad is limited, it's still work in progress. So much more effort needs to be put in to flesh out the idea of Quad and to see how it can become an effective lateral grouping. All right. Um, Tanvi, how do you weigh in on it, especially with the historical perspective? When India gets closer to the U.S., uh, as it does with the Quad, what kind of impact does it have on China's behavior? So in terms of kind of what it what it does at the boundary and Chinese actions at the boundary itself, historically and kind of even more recently, it has tended to be about bilateral issues between China and India or how Beijing is looking at uh, the region uh, or thinking about an assertive posture. It, to the extent that the U.S. comes in, it's not because of the U.S.-India relationship. It tends to be because there's a calculation in Beijing that the, that the U.S. is either on the back foot, distracted with something else, or can be managed. Um, the other thing that the, I think we've seen is, and we've seen it in the last six months, it doesn't matter what a country's relationship with China has been or the U.S. has been, Japan, that Beijing has been acting assertively on multiple fronts. So the Japanese, for example, have been kind of engaging in a major outreach to China over the last few months, but even they are facing this assertiveness uh, from China. The Philippines uh, was hesitating from signing an agreement with the U.S. Uh, they too have been facing this assertiveness from the Chinese. So Beijing at the moment seems to be or you can say Xi Jinping is in a, in a phase where it doesn't really matter what your relationship with the U.S. is, you are going to get uh, pushed. 
same thing with the Australians. They, in fact, used to be very hesitant about uh, kind of saying anything to the Chinese. And it didn't prevent the Chinese from pushing against them, which is why you've seen a change in China, in Australia in the last few years. So I think, as you have mentioned, what I've often heard from Indian diplomats is that China has taken India more seriously because the U.S. has taken uh, U- U.S. has taken uh, India more seriously. You have heard at times uh, people say that China is concerned about U.S.-India uh, relations, and indeed, it has seemed that. Delhi has sometimes held back, as Ambassador Kantha alluded to, uh, because it doesn't want to kind of uh, provoke uh, China or upset China. But at some point, you cannot let Beijing veto a relationship that is actually helping you strengthen uh, your own ability to balance China. Uh, And particularly if that country uh, that you're looking at to kind of uh, shape these relationships is acting not just assertively, but aggressively against you. Um, so I think, you know, you can, the, India is, is, is smart to kind of find that right balance. Uh, but I do not think Beijing should have a veto over India's relationship. After all, uh, Beijing does not hold back in its relations with Pakistan because of Indian concerns. Absolutely. And, and of course, uh, Beijing's concern has been uh, that the U.S. is increasingly vetoing uh, or putting using a veto over India's decisions when it comes to things like telecom and others. Uh, Ambassador Kanta, uh, Tanvi has, in fact, opened that box. So I'm going to ask you as well. Uh, in the last week, we've heard again and again from the Ministry of External Affairs and others saying Beijing has not yet explained why they amassed their troops, why they did what the aggression we've seen at the line of actual control over the summer. Um, what is your sense? You know, frankly, it's still unclear what has motivated China this time around. Uh, what's happening in border areas is unprecedented. Uh, what is driving China, we can only speculate. You know, whether it's a territorial claim, whether it's some way of you know, pressurizing India through making borders active, whether it's conveying signals to India on a whole lot of issues like India-US relations or our Indo-Pacific strategy or pandemic, one doesn't really know. But uh, unprecedented amassing of troops which China has undertaken and equally important kind of transgressions made by Chinese PLA at multiple locations in Eastern Ladakh and in Sikkim also. It's something which has seriously affected India-China relations. Uh, China is aware that there is a price to pay in terms of stability of this relationship. I think uh, Indian officials and uh, Minister Minister Jashankar have made it amply clear that what's happening in border areas is bound to impact the trajectory of broader relationship between India and China. Uh, This is something Chinese seek to deny, but it's a fact. And... uh, India-China relations have suffered heavily as a result of recent Chinese actions. I don't know whether Chinese have really gained. Uh, On the whole, in a strategic sense, perhaps they're losing by pushing India uh, towards uh, a more fundamental, radical roots and branch reappraisal of relations with China. All right. Interesting. Ambassador Kanta, I also want to ask you, because you said that, you know, the Quad has a limited, uh, uh, you know, role right now. 
My question is, we've seen in the last week the SCO play an interesting role because it became the venue for two ministerial level talks between India and China, um, face-to-face meetings between the Indian and the Chinese leadership that has not occurred in all these five months. Um, So it has played this role. On the other hand, uh, many have asked, how is it that India can be part of this continental SCO, Russia, China-led forum, which includes Pakistan, which includes Central Asian states, and at the same time in the maritime sphere be part of the, uh, the quadrilateral? And essentially, as we see the U.S. and China, the tensions between the two growing, do you think uh, India is going to have to choose or can these contradictions be managed? I think these contradictions can be managed. Frankly, you know, it's possible for us to be part of uh, multiple bilateral groupings, uh, which might be seemingly at odds with each other. Uh, In fact, uh, the fact that we are part of uh, RIC and BRICS and SEO uh, provides a good rationale for more proactive engagement in the Quad setting. If there can be, you know, regular uh, uh, engagement with uh, those groupings, uh, why not with Quad? Why are we being uh, hesitant about it? Uh, why can't we have uh, institutionalized meetings at the level of foreign ministers uh, in Quad? Why can't we think in terms of uh, summit-level meetings of Quad? So a whole lot of possibilities are there. So what we need to do is to show the requisite strategic flexibility. Uh, China is a fact of life for us. We need to engage with China, uh, though the nature of this engagement is going to change very significantly in months and years to come. At the same time, you know, we need to develop leverage vis-a-vis China. Uh, as Tanvi pointed out, uh, uh, Chinese are not uh, particularly sensitive when it comes to our concerns regarding Sinopark strategic nexus, for instance, why do we have to be overly concerned about China's sensitivities with regard to Quad, for instance? So I think it's going to be a complex situation where we'll have to show a great deal of strategic dexterity and nimble-footedness to navigate our way around. All right. Um... Tadvi, I do want to take that question to you because I know that you have said that maybe the SEO and the Quad really should not be, uh, uh, you know, equivated in any way. Um, But my question is that at a time when it looked as if India and China's relations were really uh, under a huge strain after the Galwan Valley incident and the killings of Indian uh, soldiers, what we saw was not India reaching out to the U.S. What we saw was, in fact, the the defense minister traveling to Moscow, uh, speaking about uh, bringing in a missile system uh, that that is essentially on the U.S.'s sanctions list. Uh, my question is India's position with the SEO, in a sense, a contradiction to the Quad. And could it over time actually have a negative impact on India's engagement with the U.S. and the Quad? So I think, you know, as I see it, India's kind of motivations for, you know, being part of the SEO in particular, but also kind of Russia, India, China, trilateral, to a lesser extent the BRICS, the motivations kind of, I see it as three or fourfold. One is that it is to keep Russia on side, uh, because especially on the defense side, but also to some extent in the strategic, from a strategic perspective, Russia continues to be important India, and these institutions are important uh, to Russia. Um, Second, you do not want to leave a platform, you want to be at the table 
And you do not want to leave a platform uh, to your rivals, that is China and Pakistan. Um, and, you know, India has learned uh, from its own history that if you're not part of the table at the start or when you get the opportunity, you might never be at the table. Um, I think the third thing is it does offer, the SEO offers these kind of sideline platforms uh, to kind of resolve some of these or try to manage some of these contradictions with those rivals when you might not have other platforms to engage with them or at crisis moment. Uh, but, you know, these are, I think, kind of, you know, this is a very different set of purposes than what we were talking about, not just with the Quad, but as I said, it's a network of bilaterals and trilaterals with with the Quad countries. Uh, they serve a very different purpose, and you do not have any inherent disputes between those four Quad countries. Um, now, the danger in something like an SCO at some point, after all, Yes, they met, um, the foreign and defense ministers met with their Chinese counterparts on the sidelines. But you also saw over the last few weeks, uh, India declined to participate in this SCO military exercise uh, and then walk out of the NSA's meeting because of the Pakistanis showing kind of their new, uh, uh, their new map uh, uh, behind them. And so, you know, if this becomes a venue uh, for kind of India-Pakistan tension or India-China tension in the way SARC has then you had to question what you can do. But I think there, there's kind of, there's a reason India is in them. I think the way to resol resolve those contradictions is India has always done, uh, which is you keep these multiple sets of partnerships, but always, whether it is historically, whether it's today, these India's partnerships, it might have multiple partnerships, they are not equal. This is not a hub and spoke where each of these relationships is equal. Um, and I think the India-Russia relationship, yes, could potentially create uh, strains with the U.S. as it has over the S-400. But that is where the diplomatic statecraft comes in, where you have to kind of manage the relationship with the U.S. in a way that India ensures that it gets a waiver for the S-400 uh, if that's what it seeks, uh, perhaps next year when the deliveries are made. And so I think that will require, but I don't think it's going to be a deal breaker uh, for the U.S., uh, they too have an interest in managing it, but I think it will depend on kind of the larger array uh, of factors. So I think at the end of the day, this is about managing the India-US-Russia triangle as opposed to the SEO per se creating uh, much problem. All anybody in the West has to do is just sit back and let these contradictions within the SEO play out themselves. All right. Interesting. And, and it is these contradictions uh, that might actually uh, uh, be the, the most important part of the future. Of course, the focus for the moment is in the bilateral relationship between India and China. Tanvir Madan, Ambassador Kanta, thanks so much for joining us on the Hindu Party. Thanks, Sohasi.